stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So in recent years, there have been various media reports, anecdotes about the phenomenon known as birth tourism. Uh, which would describe a a non-resident of Canada coming to Canada in order to give birth to a child so that that child would obtain Canadian citizenship. Question, though, is to what extent does this exist as a phenomenon? We know what the legal realities are when it comes to a child born in Canada. But to what extent are women coming from outside of Canada to give birth here for that reason? Well, some new research suggests that perhaps this is more widespread than we'd previously thought, or even more widespread than had previously been reported by Statistics Canada. Back to, as a result of this research, uh, the federal government is going to take a closer look at the extent of this. Uh, but it's a piece published in Policy Options, uh, a publication of the Institute for Research on Public Policy. Joining us uh, to talk more about it is uh, the author of this, Andrew Griffiths, uh, is an author and commentator, also fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and the Environics Institute. You can read more at policyoptions.irpp.org. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Well, thanks very much for having me. Um, I mean, we would describe birth tourism, I suppose, or at least I did, in very simple terms, a, a non-citizen coming to Canada in order to give birth. But, I mean, is is there more to the explanation than that? Well, that's the basic explanation. Um, you know, that uh, uh, it's really strictly used in the sense that, that women who will come to Canada to give birth with the express intent of obtaining citizenship for their child uh, that's probably the the tightest uh, definition I can use. Right. Um, what would be the, the reason? Because obviously the the parent doesn't have Canadian citizenship. But what what are the implications for a non Canadian coming here? That the child is born with Canadian citizenship. What what are the reasons that they would would want that? Well, I think uh, a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, it provides. Um, an additional form of security so that if the country of origin experiences disruption or anything like that, the child has a second citizenship in a very stable uh, country. Uh, the other advantages include sort of financial advantages. So when the child becomes of university age, they can come back to Canada and pay Canadian tuition rates. Um, and in the longer term, and this is sort of like thinking sort of like they beat let's say they come to Canada, study here, get a job, well, eventually they could theoretically uh, sponsor their parents or their grandparents to come here uh, once they've established themselves. Uh, so it does create some potential uh, financial and demographic pressures on the country. Mm-hmm. So how do we go about, you know, answering the question of, you know, what, to what extent is this happening? Well, what I did um, is the previous numbers that were reported by Statistics Canada came from the provincial vital statistics agencies, the agencies that you write to to register your child. And those numbers, when I, something twigged when I looked at the numbers that were coming out of Richmond, B.C., that showed one hospital had 
larger numbers than the rest of Canada combined. So something wasn't quite right. So I said, there's got to be another way to get the data. And then I sort of think back to my experience in hospitals where you always have a registration procedure. And I said, well, there surely must be some financial records of, you know, who uses their OHIP card and who comes in and has to pay in cash. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I found that. And I found a category that is called other country residents self-pay. Um, and that showed the much more, much higher numbers in the Statistics Canada numbers. Now, it's a broader category than merely women coming to birth, coming to Canada to give birth. Um, but it nevertheless is a more accurate reflection of what I think is actually happening. And what do the numbers tell us then? Well, the numbers they basically say, so the StatsCan numbers were around 300 per year, more or less. Um, if you look at the total number of uh, uh, non-birth to non-resident mothers, it's around 4,000. And then I just made a sort of a working level assumption, but based on some demographics and other data that said probably between 1,500 and 2,000 of those are likely birth tourists. So it's, you know, about five times at least more than the previous numbers we had, which makes it more significant. Right. So, yeah, th those, those are some big numbers and higher than, than any other previous estimate, it would appear. That's correct. Now, I, uh, you have to understand, of course, still in the overall context of the number of live births in Canada or even the number of immigrants in Canada, it's still right. relatively small change. But there's a growth pattern there. So it would seem. Now, Richmond, uh, B.C. appears to be kind of ground zero for this. What, what is the reason for that? Well, I think the reason, I mean, my, my sort of understanding of the reasons are twofold. Well, one, that's where Vancouver International Airport is, and that's the airport that's closest to Asia. And most of the uh, uh, birth tourists in Richmond are, in fact, Asians. Um, so I think it's probably a combination of the location and that a number of uh, birth tourism services or cottage industry has emerged in Richmond to cater to uh, mainly Chinese uh, uh, women who come here to give birth uh, in order to obtain citizenship for their children. Now, would somebody then coming from that, that part of the world, they would need a, a visitor visa to come to Canada? Uh, they would, yes. Um, and But, it, you know, one of the things that I checked when I was doing the research is sort of say, can one refuse uh, a visitor visa if the woman is only coming from the tent to give her, you know, birth to, to obtain a the child? Well, you can't. Um, it's not a, a you, as long as you have the sufficient funds, you know, you don't you don't pass the security checks. That's not a reason for a visitor refusal. So we we may have a fairly good idea of why somebody's coming here, and if it's for that reason, there's there's little we can do about it currently. Well, yeah, the, the, the current uh, legal and regulatory framework does not allow us to do very much. So, I, you know, part of the purpose of my uh, sharing the analysis and, and showing an increase in numbers is to say, well, maybe the government needs to look at some options on how to reduce the practice. Right. And, and what might those options be? Well, I mean, I think they're, you know, I, I tried to divide them into sort of three baskets. One is just to make it financially more expensive. Uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, the usual, you know, price sort of influences services. So I think there's some options there. I think there's also some options in terms of ensuring that uh, uh, 
you know, visitors have travel insurance that covers uh, delivery costs uh, in the case of women, obviously. Um, I think there's also maybe options in terms of looking at should visa officers have the discretion um, to refuse visitor visas in the case of suspected uh, birth tourists. And then sort of at the, you know, the far end of the scale is really sort of if the problem becomes very widespread, and I can't give an exact number, but it becomes much more so, then you have to really sort of say, well, does it merit uh, changing uh, birthright citizens so it's limited only to uh, Canadian citizens and permanent residents? Well, you note in your piece that, that Australia has has done, they, have, they haven't eliminated birthright citizenship, but they've it's a qualified birthright. How, how do they do it in Australia? You know, that was one of the frustrations in my research because I did a fairly extensive web-based search to find any articles or information on how did they do it and whether it was politically controversial. I reached out to a number of Australian academics and I couldn't find one uh, that actually knew much about the issue. Is that right? And, and I even, you know, and I wrote to the Australian government, and of course they never got back to me on this. But, you know, so there must be a story there. And I suspect that uh, if, the, you know, the Canadian government wants to understand how they went through it, uh, through their context, they could probably get uh, some accounting because there must have been some, some things that they were able to address and maybe they're unique to Australia and not to Canada, but we always can learn from uh, countries like Australia who have very similar systems to our own. Indeed. Um, well, yeah, and it begs the question of where we go from here. It sounds as though maybe the, the federal government is going to try to confirm these numbers to, to, you know, I guess gather more data to get a sense of, of the extent of all of this. Does that seem like a logical next step here? Well, it does. And I must say I'm very pleased that, the people they are going to use to do that study are the same people that I consulted with my numbers. So that tends to validate the approach in, 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 in the work that I did. But I think they've also gone to probably the best source of that kind of data. And I think, you know, they will probably be able to refine those numbers further. I don't think it'll show a radically different picture than the one I've uh, portrayed. But I think that's a good first step. But I think at the same time that they're refining the numbers, uh, which is necessary, uh, they need to be thinking of what are the possible policy approaches. Because, you know, in one sense, you can study the numbers to death and aim to get perfect numbers. But in most areas of policy, the data is never perfect. And so you really have to come to a stage where you're comfortable enough with the data that it actually shows the overall picture and then sort of say, well, what does that mean? And then how do we have to respond to that? Well, again, people can read this piece. It's uh, published at Policy Options, policyoptions.irpp.org. Um, really interesting findings. Andrew Griffith, thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate this. Likewise. Thanks very much and have a good day. All right. You as well. Uh, that is Andrew Griffiths, uh, author, commentator. He is a fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, also with the Environics Institute. Uh, and so conducted this research, prepared a piece for policy options uh, via the Institute for Research on Public Policy, which suggests that maybe there, there is more of this happening than we'd previously realized. So I suppose to the government's credit that uh, they are going to take a closer look at this. Whether anything actually changes, obviously, is, is a whole other question. You might recall there was a big um, 
uproar recently when the Conservative Party of Canada, their policy convention in August, uh, voted to end birthright citizenship. And, and look, there are other countries around the world where birthright citizenship doesn't exist. Uh, so it shouldn't be outside the bounds of, of conversation. Or even to have kind of a modified version of that, as, as Andrew Griffiths talks about in his piece, where uh, someone born in Canada would still be a Canadian citizenship, uh, Canadian citizen rather, but only if the parent was a Canadian citizen or a permanent resident. Or, you know, the child would have to live here after birth for a certain amount of time. Because, yeah, I, I think most people would agree that, that this is opportunistic. And so someone who flies into Canada, heads to the uh, hospital closest to the airport, gives birth to a child and then leaves. Well, what, what connection does the parent or the child, for that matter, have to the country? None. Uh, so it is, I think, taking advantage of what that's supposed to mean, that citizenship. So as he says, I mean, depending on, on to what extent this problem exists, maybe that's a conversation we have. In the meantime, more could be done to discourage this kind of tourism or, or to even deny travel visas uh, for people traveling for that reason. And that might be tricky. I mean, clearly, someone who's very, very pregnant should not be flying in the first place, let alone flying from you know, China to Vancouver. But could we just simply say no pregnant women are allowed to visit Canada, right? I, I don't know if we could. And- Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.